you're traveling through another podcast. A podcast not only of reviewing and discussing, but of discovery. A journey into a wondrous show whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the RSS feed up ahead. Your next stop, Anthology. Hello and welcome to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is one man's examination of the Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer. Each podcast, I share my first impressions, analysis, and overall thoughts on Rod Serling's iconic series one episode at a time. I also cover modern anthology science fiction shows such as Black Mirror and the upcoming Jordan Peele Twilight Zone reboot in bonus episode review series. You can find more of Anthology as well as a full episode archive at anthologypod.com. And if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod, tweet me at ovanthologypod, or send an email to matt at obsessiveviewer.com. Today on the podcast, I'll be discussing The Invaders, which is the 15th episode of The Twilight Zone's second season, which aired on January 27th, 1961. And before I get into that, I do have some... uh feedback to get to get to get through i guess <laughs> uh i got a very nice email from uh listener steven uh who is a podcaster himself i believe i met him through the podcast subreddit on reddit um but he just had some very kind words to say about how uh it's kind of sometimes a good thing to uh, go on a hiatus because uh, and i totally i totally get this like as a listener of podcasts like it it is so easy to get bogged down with uh just a backlog of episodes like i haven't i have a backlog of uh podcast episodes from the various podcasts i listen to that I, it's like it, it's kind of intimidating i have tons of unlistened uh unlistened to episodes in my podcast app um Mostly because uh, I've recently been favoring listening to audiobooks instead of uh, podcasts at work. So that's kind of cut into my podcast listening time. But anyway, um, Stephen just had some very kind words to say about uh, just kind of talking to me about, you know, what it's like to have several podcasts to listen to and being a podcaster and everything. So I need to actually respond to his email. Um, I'm very bad about that. I'm so sorry. Um, if you guys, if you guys send me emails, I promise you, I read every single one. I'm just a little bit slow on actually responding to them, but, um, thank you so much, Steven, for, uh, sending an email and, and, uh, sharing your thoughts. I also heard from Rochelle who I referenced in a previous episode. Um, very kind email. She, um, she, uh, is lamenting whether or not, or she's lamenting the loss of the bonus, uh, bonus reviews, um, on the, on, on the podcast, which I, I mean, I, I totally miss them too. I've only done, this is the second episode where I won't have like a bonus review and I miss it too, but honestly, I just can't, I just, I just can't with the time that I have, I, I can't really do that um i can't really commit time to to uh um adding on content to it um so eventually i will hopefully get back to it um yeah i'll I'll hopefully get back to bonus reviews like this is this episode is a good um example because i uh I, cause like I, I was researching the invaders and obviously it's, it's written by Richard Matheson and, um, there's a connection 
with this episode and one of his segments in Trilogy of Terror from 1975. So, like, I'm sitting there researching, and I'm like, oh, crap, I... I need to do a bonus bonus review of Trilogy of Terror for this episode, um, and I started watching it and everything, and I just I just couldn't finish it. I couldn't get I couldn't like commit the time to it. So, um, if you want to see Trilogy of Terror, it is available on Amazon Prime. Unfortunately, I don't have I'm not going to have a bonus review of it on this episode. But uh, what I saw of it, I I kind of liked. It's a little dated. It's kind of the first segment. I didn't get to the segment that has a connection to the invaders. But the uh, the first two segments I I did watch, uh, the second one I was kind of drifting in and out of of uh, of uh, attention to it. But the first segment was was actually pretty good and kind of uh, relevant to today to, to today's climate. Um, it involves like kind of a date rapey kind of thing and kind of masculinity and and uh, compulsion to. Uh, act on impulses without, uh, you know, consent. Um, so it's interesting. I guess that was kind of a slight bonus review. So, uh, yeah, check out Trilogy of Terror. It's on Amazon Prime, um, from 1975. But anyway, uh, yeah, thank you so much for writing in, uh, Rochelle and, uh, Steven. And thank you so much for listening, everyone. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it after a long hiatus. I really appreciate that. Um, the other thing that I have to say before we jump into the review really is that we're almost there here in a couple of weeks. The new, uh, Twilight Zone is going to be coming out on CBS All Access. And I actually got, um, uh, signed up to CBS All Access just in preparation, I guess, or because I was bored. Um, uh, I got signed up ahead of time and I was kind of looking through, I don't remember if I mentioned this in the last episode or not. I may have, I'm sorry if I'm overlapping, but, um, I just checked out the user interface and everything and everything's pretty good. Although I did notice when I watch it on, on a PS4, like, like my controller, like I have a remote for the PS4. Um, it's just minor nitpick, minor aggravation that it doesn't, um, hitting enter on it doesn't work you have to actually press x to to get it to play so it's a little dodgy there but um i'm really excited god i'm so excited for this for this uh for this show and i'm gonna i'm going to try my damnedest to stay on top of it um it's i mean i was talking to tiny on obsessive viewer just recently and april is a freaking massive month for what my friends and I do at Obsessive Viewer Podcasts. Um, it's insane. We, uh, obviously here on Anthology, I'm going to be reviewing The Twilight Zone on CBS All Access. On Obsessive Viewer, we've got Game of Thrones coming out. We're going to be doing uh, bonus episodes, uh, reviewing those episodes. And we have also got Avengers Endgame coming out at the end of the month. For Tower Junkies, we have Pet Cemetery coming out uh, the same week that... Uh, Twilight Zone premieres, and in order to do that with Tower Junkies, we're going to be reviewing the novel and the 1989 movie first. So it's kind of crunch time. It's, uh, it's kind of, kind of. Uh, I'll, what I'll say is, I I bought another whiteboard, <laughs> another dry erase board that I have that has like a 
the schedule of recordings like that's mapped out. Um, so we're going to stay on top of it and I'm still going to get my Bandersnatch review up here on Anthology here within the next week or so um, so that I don't have any overlap with bonus reviews uh, so I can kind of clear out the bonus reviews of Black Mirror and Bandersnatch before the Twilight Zone bonus reviews come out. So anyway, um, yeah, if you are a fan of any of the podcasts I do, which if you're listening to this, I sure as hell hope you are. Um, you're in for a pretty big month. And uh, I, <laughs> to Stephen, I apologize for the backlog that you're going to experience with uh, with all of the content that I'm going to be releasing. <laughs> uh, but hopefully you guys can uh, appreciate it and, and keep up with it. So anyway, um, yeah, that's, that's about all I've got before I get into my review. I did order... Um, seasons one and two of the outer limits on uh dvd like the newer released ones um super excited about that because i've because i i like watching the outer limits and everything um especially with uh with outer limits podcast by victor uh, gamboa um so i'm excited to kind of dig into the dvds and everything and it's nice to have something that's uh, I can watch without having to record podcasts about. So I'm excited to check those out. And also on those DVDs, um, fellow Twilight Zone podcaster Craig Beam does some uh, commentary tracks on several episodes. So that's pretty cool. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting those DVDs in the mail. That should be coming out next week. And uh, I'm excited about it. All right, so before I get into my review of The Invaders, I'm going to read a plot description courtesy of Twilight Zone, Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic by Martin Grahams Jr. Of course, I'll be spoiling everything about the episode from here on out, so if you haven't seen it, please go and watch it and come back and listen to the review. So here is the plot description. An old woman living alone in a farmhouse through somewhat primitive means finds her peace disturbed by the landing of a small flying saucer on the rooftop. Apprehensive at first, she discovers two small invaders exiting the craft, displaying hostile intentions. Regardless of their size, these invaders from another planet prove to be a challenge for the old woman, who finds herself under attack. The little spacemen have plenty of strength and equipment to leave more than a few scars on the woman. During the battle, the spacemen manage to blow a hole through her wall, while the giant of a woman manages to get the better of one of the visitors by beating him to death. When the remaining alien retreats to his vessel, the old woman takes an axe to the ship and destroys any remote possibility the invader has of returning home. As she, vin- as she finishes her task, a voice calls out over the radio alerting the invading army to retreat. This advanced scout has discovered a race of giants which has proved too much for the invaders. The only part of the spacecraft the old woman did not destroy was the label attached to the flying saucer that reads, U.S. Air Force Space Probe. Okay, so now that we've got all the preamble out of the way, we're going to go into my review of The Invaders, which, uh, speaking of Victor Yambo, this is one of his favorite, if not, I think, his favorite episode of The Twilight Zone. Um, so, yeah, uh, I was very excited about this one. Um, first, before I get into my review and everything, let's go through the talent and everything, the uh, cast and crew. So... This episode stars, it's the only episode that has just a single actor in the, in the show. Um, it's, uh, stars Agnes Moorhead as woman. Uh, this is her only appearance on the Twilight Zone. She did, um, go on to work with Serling again in two episodes of Night Gallery. Um, in 1970, 
She appeared in the segment Certain Shadows on the Wall. And in 1971, she appeared in the segment Witch's Feast. And she's most notable for her role in uh, Bewitched as Endora. And she also worked with um, Orson Welles and the Magnificent Ambersons and Citizen Kane. Um, I believe she played Charles Foster Kane's mother in that. So... So yeah, the pretty pretty good um resume for her. And uh of course, as I mentioned earlier, this episode was written by Richard Matheson. This is his 7 of 16 credited uh Twilight Zone episodes, although two of those 16 are uh short story by credits. Uh we previously saw his work in the Twilight Zone with Nick of Time with William Shatner, and next we'll see of him in the Twilight Zone is Once Upon a Time in season 3. And of course, um, Richard Matheson's stories were the basis of the horror anthology movie from 1975, Trilogy of Terror. Um, one segment of that is titled Amelia, and it deals with, uh, stars Karen Black, as all the other segments did. Um, the story tells of a woman terrorized in her apartment by a fetish doll possessed by the spirit of a Zuni warrior. So there are some similarities there with uh this episode and i wish i would have been able to i think that's the third segment of trilogy of terror and i only got through the first two so um unfortunately i didn't get a chance to see that one but um yeah and that's it for writer director of this episode is douglas hayes who does a voice cameo as the uh as the voice of the invader um, on the radio. And this is his final of nine Twilight Zone episodes. Um, we previously saw his work in most recently. What was his most? I have it listed in, um, uh, my rankings of it. Crap. Um, <laughs> dust. Yeah. Dust was, uh, the previous episode that we saw of his. Um, I did rank all nine episodes that he directed. So just for, Shits and giggles. Uh, number nine, I have Dust. Number eight, Nervous Man in a Four Dollar Room. Number seven, The After Hours. Number six, The Chaser. Number five, Elegy. Number four, The Howling Man. Number three, The Invaders. Number two, And When the Sky Was Opened. And number one is Eye of the Beholder. Um, that's my personal ranking. That was kind of tricky because I hadn't seen a lot of those episodes in a long time. So, um, when I inevitably rewatch the Twilight Zone just for fun, uh, that ranking is due to change, I'm sure. But yeah, Douglas Hayes was, was responsible for a lot of really good ones. Um, I mean, especially after rewatching like Castle Rock recently on Hulu, um, The Howling Man stands out as just a spectacular episode of television, um, which Castle Rock obviously borrowed heavily from, <laughs> borrowed from or paid homage to, whichever, whichever you prefer. But I mean, just still, I have the boulder still really, uh, just sticks with me. It sticks out as just, it's of course an iconic episode. But I just really appreciated the level of misdirect that that episode had. And and when the sky was open, it was fun, too, just because uh, astronauts and mystery and <laughs> surprises. So, uh, yeah, so that, that's it for Douglas Hayes with The Twilight Zone. And he wrote he also wrote um, two episodes of Night Gallery. Uh, both of them were adapted from short stories. 
Um, he wrote the segment The Dead Man in 1970, which he also directed, and he also adapted a short story for a segment in 1971 called Brenda. Although, what's interesting is that his writing credits on the show were under the name Matthew Howard. I, I don't know why, but yeah, I thought that was interesting. So, let's go into my review of The Invaders, finally. Like... 15 minutes into this episode. Um, so, uh, the invaders, like I said, is episode, what was it? 15 of season two. And it is, um, yeah. So let me go into what I knew before I went into the actual episode and watched it for the first time. So what I knew is nothing. Um, I knew that it was maybe a benchmark episode and I was assuming that it was an an alien invasion episode, but I didn't think that that alone would make it iconic or stand out from the pack. So I didn't know, I didn't know exactly what made it so iconic. Like, like I know like certain episodes that stand out that, um, as iconic episodes, like to serve man, I know why that's iconic and everything. I know, I know I'm anticipating what the twist is and everything with the invaders. I just had no idea. Um, I just knew that it was iconic and just, I didn't know why. And so I was curious what kind of social commentary it might have. And I also thought that it involved Robbie the robot. Um, for some reason, that's just, I thought that that was, uh, a piece of trivia that I picked up. But I think I, I had that confused with a future episode. Um, which is interesting because it doesn't involve Robbie the robot, but it does involve, um, the UFO, um, set uh prop from forbidden planet so there is a connection there and i think it just got crossed in my mind from kind of seeing it in passing so this episode opens up with serling's narration just uh we're seeing this desolate farmhouse in the middle of nowhere um he he refers to it as one of the out of the out of the way places and uh a house untouched by progress, which that kind of made me think that it was going to be a period episode. Like this is like early, early 1900s America or what have you. Um, obviously I was kind of wrong. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so we see, we're introduced to the woman and she's living alone, she, completely isolated. She's in her own little world. And, that's kind of the impetus of the episode. That's, that's what we're brought into. And we see her just kind of just working, like, like putting, making her dinner and putting away knives and everything. And I just, I just, right off the bat, I really like the vibe of this episode. It's very contained and very, um, uh, eerie. Like it's, I, like the episode is so focused on horror and terror that it just makes the set design and the um, performance of Agnes Moorhead so just front and center. And she, like, it give, it being the focus, uh, horror and terror being the focus of the episode gives Agnes Moorhead so much room to give a, what I think is a really, really strong and incredible performance in The Twilight Zone. And so right off the bat, I noticed that she's kind of making what looks like a stew and she, she, uh, uses, she uses a couple different knives and puts them back on the wall. Um, I noticed that there was an emphasis on the knives, So I figured, okay, that's gonna, that's gonna, <laughs> that's gonna come into play later. And I really thought at that point that, um, 
the emphasis on the knives with the this inter uh, this interesting kind of foreboding music i really thought that she was going to she was going to die in this episode and she was going to be like killed with the knives um then right after that we get the whirring sound of the ufo and it's deafening and i thought for a second that she did that it did make her deaf um because she is kind of pantomiming deafness essentially but it just kind of comes across that the that the uh the sound itself was deafening and that she was temporarily just disoriented. Um, and, and I like that about her performance. It's, it just highlights how deafening the volume of the invader ship is. And it's a, such a good example of, uh, what this episode itself does so great throughout the entire runtime is that it's showing us rather than telling us through dialogue what's going on. And again, I'm going to be heaping praise upon, uh, Agnes Moorhead's performance, but she just is incredible in this episode because she is doing so much. She's carrying so much narrative weight, um, in her performance while also making it compelling and, uh, frankly, terrifying and suspenseful. Um, it's just, it's really strong and really, um, incredible. And at this point, um, I'm, I'm starting to notice like, wait, there, there hasn't been any dialogue yet. Um, and I put in my notes that amazing that there hasn't been any dialogue yet. And I was just, you know, um, uh, in for a treat because there's no dialogue in this movie except or in this episode, except for the, uh, Douglas Hayes voice cameo. So I complimented the set design and everything because it's very isolated and very, um, uh, just alone. <laughs> like it's, it's a really great, uh, setting for suspense. But one thing that I didn't really connect with until, uh, later in the episode, and it was more obvious in repeat viewings is that, is that I, for some reason, I thought that the UFO had just appeared in her attic, um, I didn't, it, for some reason in that first scene where she goes up and discovers it, I did not realize that that was outside. <laughs> I didn't realize that she was going to her roof. Um, yeah, but it, that was just a short side, short sighted attention span for me, I guess, because on repeat viewings, like it's very clearly her, um, her roof because like the, the flame from the lamp is moving. There's shingles in the shot, uh, her shadow on the, on the, on the, on the wall, the kind of the siding and everything, like it's clearly a roof. And the kind of consensus on that is that I'm just dumb and I don't pay much attention. So, uh, that's on me. But anyway, um, I was kind of floored when I saw the, saw the spacecraft because, um, I had no idea what to expect. And the last thing that I expected were miniature aliens. Like I, I did not expect that from this episode at all. And I was like in my notes, I have just in all caps with, uh, um, with question marks and exclamation points, they're miniature aliens. Um, and man, they're terrifying. They are absolutely frightening. Um, it's so like, I'm, I'm still just so just tickled by it because I, I just didn't expect that at all. And like, I was so on board with it and I was so taken with it that I didn't even, it didn't even register with me that 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 uh the woman was a giant or anything like nothing none of that registered with me because i was just so surprised by the fact that oh they're miniature aliens and i had no idea like i was so on board with this twist i'll get to that in a bit but it was just it was just so cool to see like the little the little uh the little finger puppet alien kind of come out from from the spaceship and uh yeah so 
so then they they kind of attack her, I guess. Uh, they fire this little invisible phaser thing um, with sound effects. I think uh, I don't know if that sound effect is from the Man from Uncle, but something something from it. I'll get to that in trivia. But um, you get this very clear like uh, um, actiony. <laughs> you get this very clear like laser kind of uh laser gun sound effect and she is taking like she takes to her shoulder she favors her, her so- shoulder so the Im- implication is that she was shot by these invaders and i i got to wondering um and it's it's a loose loose uh question and i'm sure that it's it's really not because it's kind of discredited later, but um, I kind of thought for a second that, um, like, you just assume that they're laser beams, like they're futuristic laser beam guns or alien alien technology. But given the ending and the reveal that they're actually um, American humans, um, I got to wondering, like, what if they were bullets? What if they were like actual, just like guns, like like handguns, but her size like she's a giant like because she's a giant she doesn't hear them as like fing- like as a as a as gunshots they they just take on a completely different sound because she's so giant that it's just like little tiny like pew 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 sounds um and and she's so she's so big in relation to them that it doesn't break the skin or anything or have like any uh like it just hurts her shoulder now that's just a leap it's i i think that they are just you know just laser guns or what have you um yeah so that's just something that i thought for a moment um i really like that the lack of dialogue makes her almost seem primitive um because i like everything about her is human. She's, she's like a human being, but giant. And you have to expect that if you don't have to expect, but I would assume that, you know, she is living on a planet where, um, presumably there are others like her that I would imagine that they have some kind of, um, um, some kind of, uh, communication, some kind of language, um, that they have just, we never hear it because she's alone. There's no reason for her to talk if there's no one around her. Um, but we don't hear her talk at all. So, um, it's possible that it's just a completely primitive creature. Um, and there's like stuff to support that. Like the way that her teeth are just crooked and uneven and, She's not, she doesn't speak, but she rather performs her emotions. The, the way that she does that, it just makes her seem almost like a feral creature. And, uh, I, I just thought that that was kind of, uh, an interesting take for the, um, character. And it kind of comes into play, it not comes into play, but it, it repeats itself later in the episode. Um, after the invaders get, uh, get to her, get to her house, um, we see hives that have broken out on her skin. And that, uh, really kind of, first of all, it really disturbed me. Like it felt like maybe there was a biological thing And the hives that break out on her skin are just really disturbing And those hives. They kind of, 
don't know. They got me thinking that I don't know if this is intentional. I don't know if this is a conscious thing from it. But uh, one of the kind of interpretations I have for this episode is that it almost feels like it's maybe an allegory for um, uh, like colonization, like beings with advanced technology descend upon a peaceful person and disrupts their life, infects them um, with some kind of um, illness that kind of... um, uh, presents itself with, with hives or markings on their skin. And it kind of made me think of like, um, European settlers here in the United States that they kind of, the whole smallpox thing and everything. Um, and it kind of, I, like I said, I don't know if that's a conscious thing for this episode, but, um, that's what I kind of took, took from it. And I think it fits pretty well. Um, especially given the way that Agnes Moorhead kind of plays this confused, person who doesn't understand like there's such a gap between um her knowledge and her actions versus the technology of the invaders that even though they're small like uh, uh they're they're very small creatures like she still almost gets killed by them because they are so advanced so much more advanced than her and they're much more aggressive um so i kind of just wondered that i don't in my research, I didn't see anything to kind of corroborate that as a conscious uh, effort from the from from the show. But I mean, that's just one interpretation from it. Um, but yeah, so with the hives and everything, and then her kind of wandering around, it's uh, like wandering around trying to investigate and trying to fa- like trying to escape essentially, or, or trying to get one up on the invaders. Um, Morehead just she sells the terror so great like so well it's uh it's really amazing like she is front and center in this episode and it's it's really magnificent um kind of the the sounds she makes like the breathing like the heavy breathing and um the like there's a tension tied to that to that kind of vocal work that it just really just took me in uh to this episode and also the um, soundtrack, uh, Jerry Goldsmith's music in this episode is just outstanding. Like, like he goes kind of above and beyond, um, with this episode. Um, it just kind of just heightens the tension so well. And so anyway, and then also the cinematography, I have to kind of single that out too. Um, even though I didn't really, noticed that it was a roof earlier um that like i said that's just on me that's not on the cinematography or anything but there's a scene where the woman is walking around with a candle and when she or i i don't think she's walking around with a candle i think the candle's stationary in the room but anyway she knocks it over and then the lights just kind of like the light in the in the scene just goes dark and it it was just very effective i thought that that was a really good well-timed thing um and it just kind of uh kind of took on a piece of the terror and kind of heightened it. it it added to the terror like there's like there's a sense that she's um safe like throughout the episode there's kind of a sense that she could potentially be safe because they are small creatures they are the invaders are miniature aliens essentially um but little things like that like her her freaking out the breathing um and her knocking over the the candle just kind of brings you back into like it adds pieces to the overall tension of the episode that I thought was uh really well handled and kind of a good um indication of uh, or a good example of 
the show using so much of its of its resources to kind of work overtime to sell the tension like the acting the cinematography the music all of that works in tandem and the set design all work in tandem with uh and the sound effects too jesus um <laughs> all work in tandem to create a very intense episode and after she knocks over the candle soon after that we see that there's a missing knife and that's you know pretty spooking pretty spooky and pretty foreboding um then as she's walking through the room i thought that this was so cool um the invader kind of pops out and uh with the knife and stabs her in the foot or slices her foot in some way we don't actually see it um and i love that because it's um it it shows the knife it shows it going very close to the foot and then it cuts to her reaction and it's just complete horror and pain and she's just completely freaked out and everything and the music just swells at that moment and it just heightens the tension even more and at this point i kind of realized that this episode of the twilight zone is basically a slasher film like it is the classic like woman trapped in a house haunted by a serial murderer or something. This is like Halloween, uh, 17 years before Halloween came out. <laughs> um, just very, very cool, very effective. And later, like the, the way that the knife slices her foot is a great, great setup for the way that her hand gets sliced through the keyhole. Um, it's really interesting because when when I first saw the scene where the invader slices her foot, I thought like, okay, well that I mean that's it's 1961 television. They're not going to show the actual like cut or anything. Um, probably they probably weren't weren't able to or anything. So, uh, and I was fine with it. Like they just quick cut from showing the showing the knife close to the foot to, and they cut to Agnes Moorhead's reaction. What I didn't realize is that that was seeding this next bit of violence that I thought was really cool. Um, so, uh, it's just, it's so good the way that her hand gets sliced through the keyhole. Um, cause again, the music is swelling and we, to an extent, we see it and it's tame. It's pretty tame violence by today's standards, standards. There's no like gore per se, but, um, I kind of wouldn't be surprised if it was more risque in 1961, but I just thought that it was really effective from a storytelling perspective because earlier the invader attacked her foot and we don't see that. Like the camera just cut away from that entirely. But, uh, but now we see her hand actually get sliced by the knife through the keyhole. And like that makes me like it's, it's like that first scene with the foot kind of lulled us into a false sense of security with how um with with how tame the violence would be or or like that seemed like that was the height of the tension is that she's getting her foot sliced and we don't see it so we're okay but then like the violence gets heightened even more a few scenes later with her getting sliced in the hand and we actually see the we see the knife come through the keyhole and cut her hand and i thought that, that was just really um, really cool the way that it pays off the kind of, I want to say faux shock of the foot by actually showing us the hand. It's just, it was, I thought that was really clever, um, tension building and payoff for the violence in this episode. Um, but she doesn't get like, she isn't just like, 
a damsel, I guess. Like she gets one up on the invaders and she ends up killing one with the bedsheets. And man, okay. So she kills, like she just whacks around the, the bedsheets and then puts it in like a box and then throws it in the fireplace, which in the moment without knowing the ending or anything, it's like, okay, these, these creatures are monsters that are coming after her and, uh, physically like, like attacking her. So, okay, cool. Yeah, she got one. Cool. She got one of the aliens, but it's so fascinating to think about this episode and and this scene in particular from the perspective of the invaders themselves. Like we've seen plenty of like giant monster movies, um, where, you know, people are going up against giant monsters and the monsters are acting out and trying to murder them and eat them and everything. Um, what this episode does though, is it shifts the perspective and gives that giant monster a motivation. And so if you see a monster in a movie, brutally murder a human and throw it in a fire, it would be played for its intensity. And, um, it would be played for like, Oh my God, this is the stakes that we have against this monster. Like this monster needs to be taken down because they, they killed Gresham. (laughs) Um, but but when you see it from the perspective of the woman and from the giant monster in this, this giant monster movie, um, she's protecting herself. She's, she's protecting herself and she's, um, not aware that they're like, she just thinks they're just people like they, she just thinks they're aliens invading her, her home space and everything. And it's just, it's such an interesting dichotomy to reach with this, uh, episode and a very interesting perspective to take. And, this episode just follows her logic so well because she is like clearly, um, like it, it clearly communicates her, um, uh, the tension she feels and the fear that she feels, um, in this, in this scenario. And it's just, it follows it so well and it's really well done. And so we kind of get toward the end of the episode, we get, the big moment where she smashes the UFO with an axe and to go back to what I said earlier about the way that she looked, the the way that she looks like kind of a primitive creature and, and a feral like creature um, that shines through a lot when she's smashing the UFO with an axe. Like it's almost an animalistic kind of feral action um, while she's destroying the ship that has brought so much pain and violence to her to her peaceful existence. Um, and then that's when, um, we get the reveal that it's, uh, <laughs> that it's, that it's American astronauts on a, on a foreign planet populated by giant beings. Um, and man, this is so cool. Um, I was so floored by this. Um, my notes, my notes say, uh, ship is destroyed. The transmission is in English. Ha 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 ha. U.S. Air Force. Ha 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 ha. It was another planet. And, uh, I just, I love that. And I love the way that Moorhead reacts to the outgoing message. Like, she, it, she takes on this, like, look, she kind of tilts her head and, like, looks very confused. Um, it's like an animal trying to understand human speech. And I really like the way that this episode, kind of my parting thoughts on this episode is that I really like the way that it ends in a really weird, morbid, kind of hopeful note in a weird way. Um, Gresham and Doug, Doug Hayes's characters are dead or doomed and they have sent out this, this broadcast 
to Earth saying, like, don't come here. It's a race of giants. Uh, it's, it's terrible. Like, we're, we're, we're done for. Please do not come here. Um, but it just, I, something about it just feels so hopeful to me in terms of space exploration. And maybe that's because I just recently watched, um, the documentary Apollo 11, which by the way, I totally recommend everyone go see that because it is incredible. It's a, a documentary that as of this recording is in theaters. Um, it's a documentary that is comprised 100% of, um, archival footage of the Apollo 11 mission. And it's not like no talking heads, no interviews, no, um, no, uh, title cards or anything. It's just archival footage, um, edited together to create a narrative of the mission from beginning to end. And it is absolutely beautiful. Like it is an astounding documentary that is like, it's, I mean, it will get an emotional reaction out of you. I was so impressed with how just powerful it was just to see in, not in real time, but like in chronological time, the the achievement that we did in 1969 with the moon landing. Like, it is absolutely powerful. But anyway, um, so maybe that is kind of coloring my... Um, interpretation of this episode but i like the idea that here we are like this episode aired in 1961 we're eight years away from uh eight and a half years away from the moon landing and um we may even be i don't i don't remember when um jfk made the uh the uh, proclamation that that we would land uh a man on the moon within the decade. But anyway, it's at a time where the space race is heating up and everything. And we were, we have like the cold war going on and everything like stakes have been high. And the twilight zone has not been shy about, you know, having, you know, space exploration and moon landings and stuff like that. Um, it's, it's, it's no secret that that's a big part of the, uh, the DNA of a lot of episodes of this show. But there's something just so hopeful about seeing this this successful landing on another planet. Like this is a these are astronauts who are exploring the universe and it's just it just has this kind of warmth to it that is a kind of hopeful message of space exploration in a weird twisted way. Um yeah, so so my overall thoughts on on uh on the invaders is that it's a very cleverly disguised twist. I did not see that coming at all and I really loved the lack of dialogue and the way the music was just amplifying the tension and the way that Agnes Moorhead just uh uh just uh performed the role was just outstanding. Um so many pieces about the so many things about this episode worked so well and came together to to work very well together. And it was interesting to me that, uh, Richard Matheson wrote it. Um, it's kind of an interesting companion to third from the sun from season one. Um, they're kind of similar sort of in structure. Uh, they're, but they both deal with very interesting twists. Um, so yeah, so overall, I really liked the invaders. This was a really strong episode, very well performed. And, and like I said, so many, so many different cogs in the machine of the twilight zone came together to work, to create a really, really memorable and, uh, fantastic episode. 
So trivia for the invaders. Um, first up, this is according to trivia that I found online. Uh, Rod Serling's favorite episode by an outside writer. And um, Agnes Moorhead, she at the time, she was very famous for um, what was apparently a very powerful performance in uh, the suspense radio play Sorry, Wrong Number, um, which was a classic. And in that, she terrorized audiences using only her voice and this like casting her like Douglas Hayes uh, casting her was a very interesting um, twist on that because she had to use everything except for her voice and I thought that like that's that's really interesting um, of course, as I mentioned before, the UFO is a leftover prop from uh, Forbidden Planet. Um, both of, both Forbidden Planet and The Twilight Zone were produced by MGM. And uh, so, okay, so there's some there's some uh, reports, I guess, like in the trivia, people like people are saying that oh, the the uh, astronaut that they um, the astronaut that she kills with the bedsheets and everything uh, is named Grissom after Gus Grissom as one of the original Mercury seven astronauts. Um, and he actually was a command pilot for Gemini three. Um, he, it's not though. It's, I mean, it, I, every time I've seen this episode, I clearly hear the name Gresham, not Grissom. So I don't know if there was, Maybe it was intended to be like a like an homage, but just a kind of inspired by kind of thing. I I don't know, but uh, but yeah. So anyway, moving on. Uh, Agnes Moore had initially uh, refused to do the episode um, because she learned that there was no dialogue, and Rod Serling and Douglas Hayes were able to convince her, and uh, that was good. Um, <laughs> the tiny astronauts were finger puppets made of foam, which took two hands to operate. Two fingers worked the arms and two worked the legs. Um, which when I read that and then went and rewatched it, I just thought like, <laughs> it's, it's so well done and it translates so well onto like film, uh, that you can't detect it or anything, but it's just fun to like, think like they're, they're little finger puppets. It's kind of amazing. Um, as I mentioned before, Douglas Hayes was the voice of the invader that sends the message out about Gresham and him. And, uh, this was the only episode of the twilight zone that had only one person. Um, and yeah, only one person who has no spoken dialogue. Um, so that's, that's interesting. Um, of course the pilot of the twilight zone, uh, whereas everybody was, focused almost entirely on one actor, but, uh, obviously the end of that episode had, um, other actors in it. Um, so the series of beeps and everything were kind of Morse code, but there was no, uh, detectable, like it, the, according to trivia, it was purely for effect, um, because there was no message related to the plot or anything. Um, if you decoded it, it just, it is just, uh, nonsense. So, yep. So that'll pretty much do it for my review of The Invaders. Overall, once again, this was a fantastic episode, and I really um, enjoyed it. I love these episodes that are kind of isolated to a specific um, location or setting or um, confined space. And the way that the show can kind of take on that 
kind of um, dynamic and challenge and excel in such a way is just really jaw dropping to me. Um, it's like a it's like a bottle episode, and they just it's just it's cranked to eleven. The tension and everything is cranked to eleven, and it's one of the uh, kind of rawest performances I've seen from the show in a while with Agnes Moorhead uh, in the role because she is doing kind of double duty. She's performing the role, but she's also carrying so much of the tension and, and the uh, suspense on it hinges almost entirely on her performance. And it's fantastic. I can't imagine what it's like to have that um, kind of thing. I, it's kind of similar to what I talked about in my bonus review of Black Museum for Black Mirror um, in that one scene where the actress, where the woman is, is kind of threatening the uh, um, the teddy bear. It wasn't a teddy bear. It was something else. But um, the monkey. Yeah, the stuffed monkey. Um, in this in this case, it's funny because, you know, Agnes Moorhead is playing against these little finger puppets that are being operated by people with, like, fingers. Like, <laughs> like fingers are operating, like, the movement and the arms. And it's just, I, it's something that impresses me as far as like seeing an actor perform, because that's just, it's so goofy on the surface, but it translates so well in, into such a suspenseful and engaging story on screen that it's just, it's, there's a gulf there between actually performing it with finger puppets and seeing the finished product that um, it's really commendable that people can see that as the goal of the episode and be able to give such an engaging performance when on the surface it's pretty silly. Um, so yeah, so that's my review of The Invaders. And once again, I check out Trilogy of Terror, I guess. I am. Uh, I hope that I can eventually get to the bonus reviews at uh, at some point again. Um, I will be doing bonus reviews for any episode. I think I said this before, but any episode that um, was remade in a future Twilight Zone episode. Um, so those will like, I think shadow play is the next one. Um, so I'll definitely be doing that, but yeah, but anyway, um, hope you enjoyed this episode of anthology and my review of the invaders. Let me know what you thought of the invaders and yeah, everything that I talked about. Um, definitely, you know, send me an email or Facebook message me, whatever. And let me know what you thought of the invaders and yeah, so next up, we're going to be, the next episode of this podcast, I'm going to be reviewing A Penny for Your Thoughts, uh, featuring Dick York in his second of two Twilight Zone performances, and yeah, that was a, that was, that's a fun, it's an interesting episode because, uh, coming from the high tension of the invaders to this kind of lower key, um, episode is, it's kind of an interesting jump, but, um, I'll have a lot more to say about Penny for Your Thoughts next week, but anyway, yeah, um, that'll do it for this episode of Anthology. Thank you guys so much for listening, and have a good one. And now, here's a clip from a recent episode of The Obsessive Viewer, a weekly movie and TV podcast from ObsessiveViewer.com. Ah, I fumbled that. It's too late. Yeah, I know. Carol's gonna be fighting Thanos, and then Thanos is like, "No, I gotta, I don't, don't kill me. I have to get back to Goose." <laughs> um, wait, your cat's name is Goose. Uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs>
I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm happy you're so giddy about I'm, that. I'm, I'm so pleased with that, and I wish that I would have thought of it. Anthology is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to anthologypod.com slash archive. You can also like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod and follow the show on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at anthologypod.com slash donate, or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. Official anthology merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, can be found in the Obsessive Viewer's Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at anthologypod.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at teepublic.com. For information about the Obsessive Viewer's annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com, and on Twitter at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and co-host Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, over at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. Bumper music for this podcast comes courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. You can also find As Good As It Gets music on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.